from this poem done by Frank and Charles Sheridan. Why is this such a musical cocktail? Me name is John Collins, head waiter at Limmer's. Corner of Conduit Street, Hanover Square. What accent is this? Why is this? he Irish? Okay, but let me try. Me name is John Collins. No, that's even worse. Limmer's. Corner of Conduit Street, Hanover Square. My chief occupation is filling brimmers for all the young gentlemen frequenters there. And then later in the poem, Gin Punch is mentioned. Mr. Frank always drinks my gin punch when he smokes. <laughs> You're like a chimney sweep. He was a bartender in London in the 1800s. It probably wasn't that far off. I got a brand new sweetie, better than the one before. Oh, she's got everything and a little bit more. I don't know much about her, and yet I know a lot. And what it takes to make me love her, I want to tell you she's got. Does she make everybody stare? I'll say she does. Does she go la da da da? I don't care. I'll say she does. But is she nicer to me? And does she sit on my knee? Does she? I'll say she does. And does she crave a wedding and everything? Hello, and welcome to Everyday Drinking. I am your host, Callum Marsh, and uh, with me is. My co-host, secondary host, wow, Julia Haste. Thanks so much. Thank I, you, thank you for joining us, Julia Haste. <laughs> I asked joining for a, me. I asked for a glowing introduction, and this is what I get. Um, you know, well, I don't know what I expected really. What's well, the podcast about? This Alan, is this is hostest with the mostest. Ho- ooh. Should we start over? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're already a, we're already committed. All right, uh, this is everyday drinking. It's a podcast about cocktails and cocktail culture, mm-hmm. and we're here to talk about some cocktails tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, Julia has chosen a cocktail that she admires. Uh, it's a cocktail that we've all had before, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but uh, to be honest, a cocktail I don't really know a lot about, so I'm interested to hear more about the Tom Collins. That is right. The Tom Collins, otherwise known as the John Collins, the Colonel Collins, the Jack Collins. Who calls it a John Collins? The Pedro Collins. Collins but these are not real. The Pierre but... Collins, the Captain Collins, the Joe Collins. Callum, these are just a few names of the different iterations of the Tom Collins that have come uh, come out over the years. Um, that is according to David A. Embury in The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, which is his cocktail book from 1948. Um, obviously, the OG... Well, we'll get into that, but uh, basically... David A. Ambery Collins, you mean? Yes, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very elaborate cocktail. Um, the Tom Collins, I like to think of it, it kind of seems like it's like everybody's like uncle's favorite drink that they get at the open bar of the wedding or something like that. Like, it's not necessarily thought of as a very cool, classy drink. It's kind of retro in a way. Mm-hmm. Very big in like the 1960s and 70s. Uh, I think it was pretty heavily featured on the show Mad Men as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that uh, uh, Don Draper's daughter makes them for his friends at the <laughs> dinner party. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
speaking in the most uh, simplest of terms, uh, a Tom Collins is two ounces of gin, one ounce of simple syrup, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, and uh, shaken and then strained and then topped with soda water. Mer ver various iterations of that or different, you know, mm -hmm. measurements and that kind of thing. But that is the recipe that I'm operating off of right now. Uh, and it is a simple drink with quite a not simple uh, history behind it. Um, but before we get into that, do you want to shake one of these up? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I have basically pre-portioned out um, two ounces of gin, like I said, simple syrup, lemon juice, sugar, um, and then top it with soda water. So I'm going to give this a quick shake. Excellent shaking. Thank you. <laughs> Abundant shaking. Yeah. Uh, Callum very graciously refrained from laughing at me uh, while I was doing my little shaky bounce in my chair. Like I was on a little trolley train. Um, so then I'm going to, you know, strain this into a tall glass. There is a glass called the Tom Collins glass, as you may be familiar. Uh, which it's is just a, like a tall, thin glass, right? Yeah, precisely. It's a tall, thin, round glass holding anywhere from 16, 12 to 16 ounces of liquid. So yeah, I always think a of a Tom, a, Tom, a Tom Collins glass as basically just like a water glass, like a thin water glass. Yeah, essentially. Um, and lots of cocktails use that. That glass, of course. Yeah. It's like a staple of any bar. It's not a weird glass. It's like a rocks glass. You just have them in your house. Yeah, exactly. It's basically just your standard water glass, drinking glass, etc. But it is known as a Tom Collins glass. Mm -hmm. Or a Collins glass. Collins glass. John Collins glass. We're going to top this bad boy up with some soda Excellent. Pop. Welcome back to the ASMR edition <laughs> of, uh, of Everyday Drinking. I do this very precariously close to the electronics, as always. This is the way. All right, and there you go, my dear. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it's a Tom Collins. Yep. <laughs> it's not the most dazzling cocktail on the face of the earth. Um, I was it's looking into it. It is pretty good. It's a very uh, storied drink. There's a lot of different iterations. Um, I did read um, the reason that I got interested in the front in the Tom Collins is because I was actually going to do the French 75, mm -hmm. um, and then I read that the French 75 uh, is actually a variation on the Tom Collins with champagne instead of sparkling water. Yeah, I read one soda? account exactly. Um, I read one account that basically the uh, the sparkling wine was used in lieu of soda water because they didn't have any soda water, so they used champagne instead. Oh, yeah, that instead. happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, at some bar around the First or Second World War. Um, I had trouble since r finding where I found that in the first place, but I thought it was pretty interesting. But that led me down a whole wormhole of the history of the Tom Collins itself. I believe it. Um, and you may recall on last week's episode um, when I claimed that we went over the etymology of cocktails and you said, no, we don't ever go into the, into the etymology of cocktails. Well, you are about to eat your words, Callum. Tom, short for Thomas. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting ahead of me here. Uh, but welcome to my etymology corner. Um, the name Tom Collins has a couple of different, uh, you know, history... Um, or like stories behind it, essentially. And they don't necessarily negate each other, um, but I will tell you both of them individually and then kind of combine them at the end. Um, the uh, name Tom Collins is believed to have come from something called the Great Tom Collins Hoax of 1874. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I like it already. Right? You can see why I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm into that, that into Tom Collins. And I started reading all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, ooh, there's a hoax involved. I'm all about that. Yes. Let's hear about so it. So it's a little bit, to be very honest, it's a bit of a lame hoax. It's kind of just a practical joke that became very popular in a kind of like whoopee cushion-esque kind of way. Basically, um, it's, it, not a, it's not a grift. There's no heisting or... No, not at all. It's uh, just a prank that people will play bad. on their friends or random strangers or whatever. I thought Tom... I was hoping that Tom Collins was going to be like the name of a classic heist, you know, like the, like the print, like, you know, like, like the... What are they? Like the, you know... The Ocean's the, Eleven or something? No, no. You know, there's famous heists or famous grifts like the, um, the Prussian Prince. And it's like it's where you... Oh, where, like, you, yeah. There's certain like, kinds of, of grifts. But... Gotcha. Like some Brothers Bloom kind of stuff. I didn't, I didn't see that film, but yeah, sure. There were a couple of grifters. Anyway, <laughs> um, so basically this hoax, quote unquote, basically was that uh, you would go up to either your stranger, your stranger or your friend um, <laughs> and go, hey, you know, uh, you know that guy Tom Collins? He's talking shit about you. And they'd be like, what? I don't even know Tom Collins. They'd be like, well, he's going around town talking trash about you at every bar in town. Um, and then basically the joke was that this guy doesn't exist. And so the person would run around town being like, where the fuck is Tom Collins? I want to talk to him right now. And usually uh, people would also give a specific bar. Like he's down at this bar right now mm. talking shit about you. And then so they bust into the bar and be like, where's Tom Collins? I'm going to kick his ass. And they'd be like, there's nobody named Tom Collins here. But apparently uh, both bartenders would get in on this. Like they would play up the story and be like, oh, he just left. And then like the <laughs> friend would be like, now he's down at this bar or whatever. And so bartenders that were in the know, like they were in on the joke, um, you know, would uh, would kind of be like, oh, you just missed him. Maybe mm-hmm. try this other bar. And then it would become like a silly little prank. Um, and because obviously there's no like, you know, internet, there's no phones or anything like that. Oh, there that. was no internet? There was actually no internet. <laughs> uh, a very well, little known fact in the uh, 19th century, they didn't even have internet, Callum. They couldn't Facebook Tom Collins. <sighs> no, they couldn't Google it and be like, Tom Collins hoax question mark. <laughs> um, so, uh, so basically, uh, this actually was also, um, there were even some newspapers that would get in on this, being like, local, you know, rapscallion Tom Collins gets away with it again. He was last seen on uh, February 17th at this bar, but blah, 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 etc. Um, and in fact, um, I have a couple, also in this episode, you will hear some poetry and songs from me, so I'm very excited. <laughs> Right. Um, there were songs uh, that were uh, put into the uh, like the American Songbook, essentially, um, or the they can be found in the Library of Congress, I should say. Um, there was one by uh, now Callum, be an adult here. There was a song by W. H. Boner and Co. <laughs> uh, <laughs> published called <laughs> "Tom Collins Is My Name," and it's from 1874, and it goes like this: Tom Collins wants to see you. He says you are a beat. Tom Collins, don't you know him? Tis you he wants to meet. In here just a moment since he's down on you, that's sure. He just went round the corner into that other store. Sorry, did you you devise the melody for this and just find the lyrics, or did you actually find a recording of this? You know that wasn't a song, right? Like, there was no tune? (laughs) No, I just recited it, like a beat poem. Okay, fair. I wasn't singing it, Um, but I could if you want. Tom Collins. This is your impression okay. of a 19th century song? Yeah, precisely. Uh, yeah, zip to bow. Okay. Z- <laughs> zip. What? All right, fine. You don't like scatting. I get it. Um, yeah, like I said, newspapers propagated the joke by printing news of real-life Collins sightings and urging citizens to find the culprit. And uh, eventually everybody figured it out that it was just a hoax, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there will be some people that will, uh, you know, negate this and say, no, that's not true, because... 
something that is true is that there was a cocktail several years earlier called the John Collins, and mm. it is almost exactly the same thing. Invented by a bartender named John Collins in London, England um, in the 1850s. And, uh, well, we, we know that he made a gin punch that everybody loved, mm -hmm. and it seems as though it was probably about the same thing, and that was the origin. Um, and so, basically, the difference would have been that the John Collins was made with London Dry Gin, and then the Tom Collins was made with Old Tom Gin. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but John Collins was the head waiter at Limmer's, which was a bar in London. And he was uh, their narrator of the following verse from this poem done by Frank and Charles Sheridan. Why is this such a musical cocktail? Me name is John Collins, head waiter at Limmer's. Corner of Conduit Street, Hanover Square. What accent is Why this? Why is he Irish? Okay, but let me try. Me name is John Collins, no, head that's waiter even worse. at Limmer's. Corner of Conduit Street, Hanover Square. My chief occupation is filling brimmers for all the young gentlemen frequenters there. And then later in the poem, Gin Punch is mentioned. Mr. Frank always drinks my gin punch when he smokes. <laughs> You're like a chimney sweep. He was a bartender in London in the 1800s. It probably wasn't that far off. Okay, great. Uh, so it seems that it has gotten its name from when o Old Tom Gin replaced the Gene Geneva Gin and the John Collins. Oh, yeah, John Collins can be Geneva Gin or uh, London Dry Gin. It's a whole thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so this uh, punch was introduced to bartenders in New York in the 1850s, and theoretically it would have called for gin, lemon juice, chilled soda water, and maraschino liqueur, which would be like a Luxardo kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the... Uh, I've mentioned Old Tom Gin a couple times. Yeah. Why don't we get into the etymology of Old Tom Gin? I am assuming the old refers to its age and Tom is the name of someone associated with it. Six, seven. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. Uh, no, actually, um, Old Tom Gin. Um, was a gin recipe that was popular in 18th century England. Um, if we're going to get into gin in 18th century England, we need to get into something that I like to call, and so do historians, the gin craze. I feel like this it's is going to be... a term that you've coined. Yeah, a little ditty I like to call the gin craze. A five, six, seven, <laughs> uh, A musical episode of Everyday Drinking. How exciting. Um, the gin craze uh, was a period in the first half of the 18th century um, in which the consumption of gin increased rapidly in Great Britain, especially in London. Um, and a lot of people were over-consuming, and the city had an epidemic of extreme drunkenness, um, which provoked moral outrage and a leg legislative backlash that some compared to modern drug wars. Mmm. Um, basically, uh, at the time, uh, the uh, English government kind of super pushed the production and consumption of gin because it provided an alternative to French brandy, which was the, like, the drink of choice at the time. Um, and there were, at the time, both political and religious conflicts between uh, Britain and France. And so they uh, passed a range of legislation, basically making it way easier for anyone to make gin. You didn't need to, like, the licensing and all that kind of stuff was kind of out the window, or, you know, fees were super low. Um, and they also restricted brandy imports at the same time. So basically, they made it so gin was the drink of choice. It was really inexpensive. Anybody could make it. And as such, there was so much gin to go around that everybody just drank a whole lot of gin and now there's too much gin and so the British government started trying to kind of uh, do some recon like try to take this back and uh, so they tried to stop the flow of gin 
Um, they started uh, taxing the retail sales at crazy rates, and uh, you know they started making it you know something you needed a license to do, and the licenses were really hard and expensive to get. And so, uh, but basically, that didn't really stop people. They found many different ways uh, to distribute it anyway, and kind of in a like rum runnery, uh, prohibitiony style. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those ways. Oh, by the way, this is a fun little fact. In 1743, England was drinking 2.2 gallons or 10 liters of gin per person per year on average. Extremely same, as they say. Extremely same? Yeah, no, I agree. But you're also not taking into account that this is including, like, everybody, like, including people that don't drink gin, like Mm. infants, presumably, hopefully. I mean, we don't know. (laughs) Anyway, all this leads us to Old Tom Gin. Gin, uh, Old Tom Gin is a gin recipe that was popular in the 18th century, right around this time. Um, It is slightly sweeter than London Dry Gin, and less sweet than the Dutch Geneva, and sometimes people call it the missing link. Um, And the reason it relates to the gin craze is because uh, the name Old Tom comes from the fact that wooden plaques shaped like a black cat, which was colloquially known as an Old Tom, like old tomcat, uh, would be mounted on the outside wall of a pub above a public walkway in the 18th century England, and under the cat's paw, there would be a slot to put money in, and there would be a lead tube, and the bartender would pour a shot of gin into that tube, and you would either like have a glass beneath it, or I don't know, maybe just straight up like mouth <laughs> to the lead pipe. Amazing. Um, and so that is one story of uh, how it got its name of Old Tom Gin. The other story is that the guy that made it was named Tom. Uh, <laughs> Slightly less exciting. Yeah, but both things are true. Like, uh, you know, like the, the thing with the cat and all that stuff did happen, and it was gin, so it's perfectly plausible, and it could be a nice little combo of the both. Same way that uh, John Collins and Tom Collins don't necessarily be, need to be mutually exclusive stories. It could be that it was called the John Collins... And then once they started using Old Tom Gin, they started calling it the Tom Collins, and they thought they were being cute and clever because everybody knew the story of the Tom Collins uh, prank. Right, yeah. Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, so basically one thing that's interesting about uh, gin at the time is that uh, just the process of it being made. Um, Tom Chamberlain was a rectifier, which basically meant that he was the person that took the raw spirits and then mixed it with different botanicals and sugars and that kind of thing, made it a little bit, uh, like, diluted so it was, like, drinkable. And so his became so popular that it basically became coined as its own type of gin because he just, you know, his mix was so tasty. Um, so yeah, so there'd be rectifiers, retailers, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and also, uh, one thing to note is that, uh, gin, because it was so unpalatable and disgusting, it would have been added, it would have been watered down and then had a bunch of sugar added to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know that it necessarily would. London dry gin, not so much, which mm-hmm. is the prevailing, uh, popular type of gin that's most commonly used today. You'll have a really hard time finding old Tom gin these days, and it's kind of making a comeback, what with the, uh, kind of old-timey bespoke hipster cocktail trend that's happening now. Um, Heyman's Old Tom Gin, uh, they make one, and there's a couple more, and they become more... Well, it's interesting you mentioned the the Gin Act of 1736 and the, the difficulty that, it, that that provoked in terms of being able to make a gin and how getting those licenses is next mm-hmm. to impossible because literally until like less than a decade ago, mm-hmm. it was still almost impossible to get a license to produce a gin uh, in, in, in England at all. And so the only gins that were being made in England were Tanqueray, mm-hmm. you know, Gibsons, like the, the ones that are major, major famous beef eater. Um, and then uh, I think it was um, Sipsmith, 
that like successfully lobbied for them to change that and they could actually they they created it so that they could get licenses to make craft gins and mm-hmm. since then it's become hugely diverse and hugely popular to make craft gins and if you go to a liquor store anywhere in the world now you can get you know a dozen different kinds of uh of london gin of Mm -hmm. of british gin but that wasn't true 20 years ago that's very true even i don't even know that the gin section would have been that big at the lcbo even like five like five or ten years ago no five yeah no exactly it was just the just the four or five major producers of gin yeah well i mean there was a lot of talk of people being like what the heck is old tom gin even like as early as like or like as recently as five years ago because Mm -hmm. these different types of gin like especially what once it became so difficult to make gin and it was like these are the people that are making gin and they almost by and large were all making london dry gin um, and so the old Tom gin, the, uh, the Geneva gin, which is a Dutch style gin that's much sweeter, um, were kind of basically wiped off the face of the earth, not literally, but of course, but, uh, you know, as far as our palates and our experiences of it. Um, so yeah, it seems to be like a very ongoing trend with, uh, you know, the bartending world, cocktail world, and also with our podcast about like these kind of old timey bespoke drinks. I don't know that I'm using the word bespoke, right? Uh, (laughs) Like coming back into trend, even just by virtue of the fact that they are interesting and kind of old school and uh, very, um, you know, uh, working with what they had at the time and, you know, um, you know, uh, innovation coming out of hardship in a way. Um, Seems to be a theme of what we're going on. And uh, so, yeah, nowadays, I think my experience of a Tom Collins is once again sugary bar lime and soda or bar lemon and soda at some dive bar or whatever. Yeah, I definitely don't think mm. of the Tom Collins particularly as uh, an artisanal craft cocktail. It's mm. something that I think of as it, my association with this drink is that when I was 18 or 19, um, I somehow acquired it was probably gifted to me a cocktail shaker that had. You ever seen those cocktail shakers that have like the cocktails imprinted on the outside, Absolutely. the measurements? Yep. So the one that I had, which you know, is pro- I think now thinking about it, it's probably like leftover from my mom's place. She gave it mm-hmm. to me, but it had, you know, a Manhattan and a martini, and like a strawberry daiquiri or something, <laughs> something terrible. And uh, obviously, a Manhattan and a martini. I tried them when I was eighteen. It was way too booze for- forward for me, even though I wanted to be cool and pretend I liked it. It was just, it was not practical. So. The one drink on there that struck me as intriguing was the Tom Collins. And for some reason, I think I mentioned this to you before, but when I started going to nightclubs around 1920, and I, would, I didn't want to drink beer all the time, the only drink I could think to mm-hmm. order was a Tom Collins. It was I don't think I even really knew 100% what was in it. I just knew that it was like a fairly easy drinking drink and that it, it sounded sophisticated enough that I was like, I'm a savvy drinker here. I'm not just ordering a beer. Yeah. But I also had, like, I also knew enough that it was popular enough that they would be able to make it. Mm-hmm. So I used to drink a lot of Tom Collins's in dance clubs in 2005, 2006. Yeah, I mean, I think that was my experience as well, was learning, you know, wanting to sound classy, but not knowing how to handle uh, my booze, essentially, in terms of, like, I don't want to taste the actual alcohol. <laughs> um, this is uh, referred to a lot as, like, a, a boozy lemonade in a lot of different kind of, iter- uh, you know, accounts of it, especially old-timey accounts. They talk call it, um, uh, like, take sweet lemonade with um, sparked water, I think they call it, and, uh, and you know, add 
a, a spirit or something like mm. that, make it spirited or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, I think there was some point at which I figured out what a Tom Collins was and that it was just like a sugary, like lemonade with, uh, with gin in it that you could barely taste. When you were really young? Yeah. When I was like 19, 20 mm-hmm. or whatever. And that would be the thing that I would, like, sidle up to a bar and be like, Tom Collins, please. <laughs> and presume that everyone around me was going like, ooh, she's classy. Lady she of mystery. She knows her cocktails. <laughs> Let's buy her a Tom Collins. Spoiler <laughs> alert, nobody did. <laughs> Which leads me to my next song. A five, six, seven, eight. Um, yeah, I was. I have a couple of pop culture references here, um, just for fun. Uh, Robert De Niro in Casino puts two million dollars into an LA bank under the name of Mr. and Mrs. Oh, Tom yes, Collins. That's right. Yeah, and also, like I said, Mally, in Mad Men, Sally Draper uh, makes Tom Collins's for her mom's friends while making uh, old fashions for the men, and uh, you know, is being coached by Don Draper. And I think that mm-hmm. was a fairly pivotal scene in her story, anyway. Which is interesting because I was also the child bartender in my household, or at least at my Nana's house. Um, so maybe it's a thing, a relic of like the 1960s and 70s, like having the kid at the party make all the cocktails. The 1960s, where when you grew up. It well, was, I'm talking uh... about, because like, my, my parents didn't make me do it, but my Nana did. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that's when she would have been rearing children. Well, I guess more even earlier than that, uh, the 50s and 60s. But, uh, but yeah, it was a fun time. Mm. Yeah. So what, where's the uh, rediscovery come in? Like, where, where was, we talked about your first uh, sampling of this in mind, but mm. when is this, uh, what, what intrigued you about this originally in terms of putting it on the, co- uh, on the podcast? Uh, well, like I said, I was going to do the French 75 because that's a cocktail that I really love uh, just for having a bit of a punch and for being kind of retro as well. And it had a pretty good story behind it, but in the researching of it, it kept be referring to the Tom Collins as the origin of that drink. And then the more I read about the history and the kind of culture behind it, the more I was really intrigued in terms of a, you know, a cocktail with a story behind it and like quite a bit of history and uh, significance in in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know necessarily. It's also just like it is essentially the kind of drink that I would just make for myself out of laziness. Like, if, like you know, I love going for the fancy cocktail with like the uh, the bitters and the blah blah blah. But like, yes, if well, I was this just is like, a great this is a great third drink of the night. Like you're sort of like you've made your martini, you've made your paper plane, and you're like, you know what? We're watching a movie. I don't want to get up and make a whole cocktail. Let's just yeah. <laughs> throw some stuff together. Well, a lot of people just refer to it as a highball, essentially. Yeah, it's... I mean, it isn't quite a highball, right? It is me. It is shaken, so mm-hmm. it's not a highball, but it does have the same quality as a highball, which is mm-hmm. that... And also, it, if you went to a, a bar, like not like a cocktail bar, but if you went to a, a restaurant or a club, they would make it like a, co- a, a highball. They, yeah. they Presumably, they would just throw in some gin, some mm-hmm. syrup, and then fill it with soda. Yeah. And, and they're not going to, they're not going to stir it or not going to shake it. Yeah. And arguably some might even argue that that is the proper way to make it. Uh, you know, I got my, you know, recipe from like, I cross reference like Bon Appetit in New York Times cooking and, uh, you know, just to check for the uh, legit. And it also gives like coming from more kind of classy boutique bar background. It's like, oh yeah, if it has lemon and sugar in it, then you shake it. But I think that this is kind of very similar to the whiskey sour in our experience where it's like, there is a kind of. Um, classy cocktail origin that has been kind of uh, lovingly bastardized into just a highball that you could get in a you know a rocks glass yes. for you know five dollar mixed drinks nights at 
whatever, <laughs> you know, Gabby's or whatever. Yeah, this is definitely a, a, a drink that would be on a list of mixed drinks available for $5 mm-hmm. <laughs> on bar special night. Yeah, Tom Collins. Gabby's. Yeah, it'd be Tom Collins, Cosmopolitan with soda. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I realize it's not technically a highball, but also I don't think Cosmos in bars like that are necessarily shaken. They're probably just a premix or whatever. Wait till our next episode where I choose my favorite cocktail, the Cosmopolitan. I wouldn't. I would not judge you. The Cosmo is a perfectly valid cocktail. I feel like it gets a bad rap because of like Sex in the City and yeah. the early two thousand. I mean, it's not. It's definitely not quite the kind of cocktail like a, a margarita or a daiquiri where there is a serious cocktail called that, and then there's a version that idiots make. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's no serious version of a Cosmopolitan that's, like, on the rocks that's really swanky. It's it's kind of just a sugary drink. But, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Well, actually, my recipe... I'm trying to think. My recipe of um, Cosmo doesn't necessarily have any sugar in it. Or whatever. Like a... Yeah. You know, it's a, a, a it's a variation. Drink. It's a variation on the martini. It's actually, like, you know, how there's a bunch of different kinds of martinis, essentially. That would be one of them. But it does... I mean, I feel like it probably does end up getting a lot of sugar in it if you go to, like some bar and they're doing like cocktail night it'll be like mm. you know the you know fuzzy nipple cosmopolitan and uh you know whiskey sour or whatever um and they'll have like jacked it up with a ton they'll probably use like bar lime as the lime component mm-hmm. and then like a whole lot of triple sec a dash of vodka and then the world's worst cranberry juice but you know Maybe we should try to do a fancy version of the Cosmo. I wouldn't be opposed. I will hand juice the cranberries. Do you remember the Toronto cranberry. Temperate Society? Did you ever go there? Uh, it was a members-only bar no. on College Street. Then no. <laughs> First cocktail bar I ever went to in Toronto, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a member, but I was brought by a member. And they had a list of rules, not unlike uh, the milk and honey list of rules, in terms of your behavior and etiquette very swanky they had a piano player mm-hmm. very small speakeasy style and one of the rules was if you order a cosmopolitan you'll be asked to leave <laughs> yeah fair enough i feel like that's sarah jessica parker's fault i feel like that probably wouldn't fly now that was like 10 years ago it sounds a little bit judgmental to me i don't know i mean i feel like we're well i mean we might be in a post-judgmental society in that respect i think in that way yeah yeah. And also, as soon as I see that on the menu, my first instinct is like, well, now I want a Cosmopolitan mm-hmm. because the principle of the thing. It's true. And also, like, I do feel like there was an era of, like, snobbery, like, open snobbery that was very acceptable in, like, the cocktail world, the coffee world. Yeah, I was going to say coffee thing. world. That's right. Yeah. Um, the I, beer world. But then yeah. it kind of swung back in the same mm-hmm. way. I think in the same way that, that a Tom Collins would be a slightly more respectable drink now is that, like, 10 years ago, you would only drink... Uh, a super hoppy IPA, mm-hmm. and you would you wouldn't dare order like mm-hmm. a Miller High Life or a Miller Light or something, mm-hmm. which we love. Right. Um, but now it's kind of swung back. Like you can order a Budweiser at a cool bar and not and, not, and people won't judge you. But people like David Chang. I was just really, gonna yeah, say, exactly, like that's really, the culture I, of like no, like nothing's too good for us, or like nothing's yes. not good enough for us. Like if it's good, it's good. Like that kind of thing. Now it's almost a little bit trendy to have like Frito pie on your menu or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. at your ritzy, you know, restaurant. Yeah, they fought for that back. Mm-hmm. Is it is it Miller Lite that, that David Chang loves? I can't remember what it was. There's one of those beers. It, it might be Miller High Life. I feel mm. like it might be the fancy bottle Miller High Life. Yeah, it's anyway. That's I think this is of a piece with that. The Tom Collins. Mm. Or maybe it's Budweiser. No, it's not Budweiser. Mm. It's I think it's Miller. We should spend the next five to ten minutes debating, debating on which it. one it is. Yeah, it's something like that. But anyway, 
it's a cheap beer, the point is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been that pushback to like, I don't always want a super hoppy beer. I don't always want a super complicated cocktail. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's okay to have something like a Tom Collins, which is storied mm-hmm. and historical and delicious. Yeah. Makes I mean, sense. how often do I go for just like a whiskey soda or a gin and soda or whatever, just because it's easy and it's, you know, not super sweet or whatever. Yeah, no one would side-eye a gin and tonic, yeah, which exactly. is basically what this is. Yeah, and people do their fancy versions of gin and tonic, which is very uh, fashionable these days. Mm-hmm. And this is just like one like one extra step of like add a little lemon juice and sugar and it's, you know, makes it that much sweeter and nicer. It's Like I have no hate for this cocktail whatsoever. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, especially for a tall drink because... I, you know this about me. I have a habit of, if I have a three ounce cocktail, and drinking I'll it be in like, one it's second. delicious. And then like <laughs> sip it in two sips and then be like, why am I trashed? Um, so this is very useful for me. That's uh, true. Just, not <laughs> because it, it. Not because I'm a, like a huge booze hound, but just because I really enjoy the taste of cocktails. And so I just, abs- and I have no like, I don't really have any squeamishness about the taste of alcohol. Yeah, it's weird. Your pace of drinking, like generally drink over drink is not fast. Mm-hmm. But your your the speed with which you consume a single cocktail is unbelievable. Yeah, it's a gift and a curse that I genuinely <laughs> love the taste of cocktails. You know that I, you know I'm not, I'm not a huge booze hound like I said, but I kind of love doing shots. Oh right, so this comes from that. It comes from well, it could. I mean, I think that uh, I just really enjoy. I also love like anchovy paste and like the funkiest cheese and so like I, lo- I kind of am maybe I'm a little bit of a masochist in terms of like my taste buds and my palate in like something that's super strong um and kind of makes you twist up your face a little bit like that's kind of my jam mm-hmm. and so it's not so much that I want to get super wasted in fact when we do uh you know shots in various um you know settings such as at the restaurant or like at a party or something like that I'll frequently like find a, a spirit that has a strong flavor, but not a high percentage, because mm-hmm. I just I kind of like that kind of big punch in the face of flavor, and as such, that is a detailed explanation as to why I Do drink you know cocktails. That was actually one of the other uh, milk and honey bar rules: was that bartenders, if if required by, you know, custom or by by uh, the circumstances of the moment, to do a shot with a guest, mm-hmm. like a customer wants to do a shot with you and buys you a shot, mm-hmm. uh, encouraged to do a shot of amaro specifically. I love Amaro. Uh, that's yeah. what I. That was my shot of choice, mm-hmm. Amaro Montenegro, which is actually also very nice and smooth too. It's not super abrasive. Yeah, but the idea is the low, the low ABV. Mm-hmm. That you're not just shooting forty percent alcohol every time you do a shot. Yeah, um, you're you're still working. But I I do like that idea. Mm-hmm. I did also le- learn that lesson the hard way after <laughs> a very enthusiastic like birthday party or something like that where. There were 30 people, and every five people would come up to the bar and be like, oh, I'll have another beer and a shot for the two of us. And I'd be like, woohoo, rye, or whatever, and then <laughs> realize that I was having trouble doing math. I was always really blown away by that American thing. I think maybe it, it's not even just an American thing. It's a New York thing. Because when I go out to drink with my New York friends, getting a, a beer and a shot as mm-hmm. a combination thing is like a, it's just a normal menu item. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partly a cost issue because, you know, for example, there there are some bars in Toronto that do a beer and a shot special, like like uh, Hot Mess, Tex Mess, you can get like a, a can of Miller High Life and a shot of Jameson, but it's like an extra $6 to add the shot on, yeah. which is not, like that's another drink. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to New York and you get an extra shot, it's like an extra dollar or an extra like $3. Mm. It's It's really, really cheap. So a beer and a shot is like, 
the normal price of a drink. Yeah, and at the rate that I drink, that would probably offset the high rent, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so th this is the way to counteract that. You get your Tom Collins, you drink it slowly. You've got a lot of it there, a lot of soda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. I like a tall cocktail. You need to find, it's, it's kind of hard to find because if you do like whiskey soda in a tall glass or gin and soda in a tall glass, you feel like you're just drinking a big water oh, yeah. glass you don't, of soda. You don't want to feel like you're, especially if you get like a Ryan Coke, you don't want to feel like you're drinking like a, a McDonald's like extra large fountain soda with like a bit of whiskey in it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Too I mean, soda. no shade on that because we've all been there. Say, we've all been there. We've ordered McDonald's and put a shot of whiskey. We have done that, yeah. Yes. That's I mean, true. you know, it's these are tough times. you got to you know, <laughs> improvise culinarily. Culinarily? Culinarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going with it. Well. You know what? Do you know what I have? I have the origin story of the term shot. And I looked it up, and I thought that was going to be too much of a deep dive. I saw you just about to wrap it up, but I want to tell you this story you go right ahead Callie? you're hol she's holding my wrist tightly while the circulation is leaving his hand right now yeah, okay feel free do you know what the origin of the term shot is i would have assumed it had something to do with a bullet and a similar act of shooting a gun i i don't know what was it okay well you're I mean you're not right but but there is a um urban myth I was baiting you to to recite this urban myth that's very popular with people which is kind of related to that but is untrue which is um there's a meme going around or there was a meme in the early 2000s that went around that basically just said in the old west a 45 cartridge for a six gun cost 12 cents and so did a glass of whiskey if a cow hand Excuse me. If a cowhand was low on cash, he would often give the bartender a cartridge in exchange for a drink. This became known as a shot of whiskey. That sounds like a really cool, fun fact. It's not true. You um, snopsed this? I Well, I didn't. You did. Oh, you did. You did. Well, someone did, I and I copied their work. Okay. Uh, basically, Kim LeCapria and David Emery from the fact-checking website Snopes looked into this. Surprise, memes are rarely based on truth. Um, I'm quoting this from vinepair.com. Slash origin of you, a shot. You could just paraphrase it. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one is a complete lie. Uh, the oldest recorded reference that Snopes found of shot as a measure of liquor was in the autobiography of a British reverend, Oliver Haywood, uh, who lived from 1630 to 1702, and uh, the West was not trampled over by whiskey-shooting cowboys until the mid 1800s um, And I had thrown that in because I was curious about it and also because... Um, it seemed relevant, given that this was a British uh, reverend in, like, the late 1600s, early 1700s, which would have been the, you know, like, around the heyday of gin as well, uh, where that would probably, either gin or brandy would have been the popular drink. So I was like, this pertains to our talk of, you know, people getting shots of gin, um, you know, through lead pipes in an alleyway and all that kind of stuff. Um, and apparently uh, there was something, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, According to the Oxford English Dictionary in the 15th century England... Oh, I forgot to even say what the actual origin of it was. Yes. Uh, a shot was... Uh, it was defined as a charge to be paid when used in the context of paying a bill at a bar. Mm. So you get your shot, and that was your bill. Right. That makes so sense. So give me another shot means give me another bill in exchange for you, Yeah, alcohol. drinking your shots. That makes sense. Yeah. <sighs> you could sing um, the Bon Jovi song... Uh, Shot to the yeah. heart, and you're to blame, Reverend. You give shots. They're accurate names. <laughs> <in the British laughs> <dictionary. laughs> 
Wow. Wow. I haven't even done the closing, the signing off song yet. <laughs> I cut that out last time, by the way. Did you really? Yes. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I revealed that I didn't listen to the whole podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, um, this is us signing off without the song that Julia improvised last week. Mm. Um, but this week, we got we some had Bon Jovi. Some laughs. We learned some facts. Mm. We drank some drinks. We wore some hats. We didn't wear hats. Sorry, I lied. My name's Julia. This is Callum. We're everyday drinking good. I got a brand new sweetie, better than the one before. Oh, she's got everything and a little bit more. I don't know much about her, and yet I know a lot. And what it takes to make me love her, I want to tell you she's got. Does she make everybody stare? I'll say she does. Does she go la da da da? I don't care. I'll say she does. But is she nicer than me? And does she sit on my knee? Does she? I'll say she does. And does she crave a wedding and everything? I'll say she does. Was she happy to get the ring? You bet she was. When she danced. Thank you.